Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth Seat Sports Show Football Edition. I am Joe Marchalina. Joining me once again is Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great tonight, Joe. How are you? I am hanging in there. I'm, uh, yeah, I think we're both recovering here from what's been, uh, feels like a whirlwind of playoff football here. Yeah, it was a busy weekend, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, it's so funny. It's one of those things I'm always like, yeah, yeah, move the games here, move games there. I want to go to all the games. And then I'm like, by by Sunday night, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm tired. Yeah, you're like, oh, I went to all the games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, of course, you can uh, you can send us questions and feedback for the show uh, by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at at, an, at nhhsports. Uh, the football show is available to listen to every Tuesday during the season at nh-highschoolsports.com or on Spotify or Odyssey. Uh, just go to either one of those, search for Ninth State Sports Show, and uh, it should pop up with the most recent ones. Uh, and, and like I always say, if you if you want to go back and you're feeling adventurous, listen to some really old podcasts. Uh, you know, you're you're do this. Do so at your own risk, I will say. As I said, we have some hidden gems back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I necessarily call them gems. Don't don't think you're going to be taking them to uh, a jeweler or anything, trying to trying <laughs> to turn them in for gold or or whatever. But uh, you might find something interesting back there in the vault. But speaking of interesting, we of course had uh, you know some some really interesting i think outcomes from these playoff games this past weekend including two championship games uh going off on saturday uh so i guess uh you know we we usually start with division one uh but last week you know with the with the uh i I don't want to say more greater importance but uh deeper position in the playoffs um maybe that's a deeper round i guess uh we'll, we'll start with division four since they uh, they crowned their championship champion this past weekend, uh, and of course that was another matchup between uh, Newport and Summersworth. Summersworth the one seed, excuse me, Newport the one seed, Summersworth the two. Um, you know the third time I think, and what did we say last week? Four years that they've played in the championship game. Uh, Newport won the regular season, and uh, you know after a, a I mean or, or a close game throughout in this one. But Summersworth is able to make it three state uh, or three straight Division three titles in a row with a uh, 21-7 win over Newport in the the D four championship game. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean the game, uh, you know, pretty good battle um, played at Laconia uh, as the neutral site, which I, I I've never been there, Joe, but I hear it's a really really nice facility. I, I had gone up to the old facility several times when I was coaching. Um, but I haven't seen the new Laconia facility yet. But but it's, from everything I've heard, yeah, it's an interesting um, setup because you, it's behind the high school, and it doesn't look like like there's a you know fancy turf stadium behind there. Like, yeah, it looks like you're just pulling up to I don't even know. Um, but it is. It's a nice turf field. Um, you know the the opposite side from from the home sideline, the press box, the stands, all that is like a hill that, um, you know, you can you can sit and watch the game from. Um, stands aren't huge, but there's a nice nice set of bleachers behind you. The press box is, um, I mean, it's a, it's a box. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like a concrete box on top of the, the stands. But, you know, great viewing from up there if you, you were to choose to sit up there. But, you know, for, for a smaller school venue, it's, I, think it's, um, I think it's top notch. You know, certainly yeah. probably the best facility that the, either of these two teams played on. Yeah, and a pretty pretty interesting game. You know, the game uh, tied seven seven at half, so kind of a uh, a low scoring deadlock at halftime, which is you know maybe sort of what you expected it to be, um, given the the way that these two teams have gone about their business and played defense all year. But um, you know, I think what, there's a lot of stats in this game, a lot of a lot of interesting things that happened. But I think one of the things that really hit me is nine total turnovers in the yeah, game. Yeah. Six of which were were turned over. The ball was turned over by Newport, so Newport owned six of those turnovers, and yet they were able to kind of hang in there despite that. You know, it it it, it does make you wonder, geez, if if uh, if Summersworth hadn't been able to generate those six turnovers, a couple of them were were key that led to 
uh, I think two led to to the difference making touchdowns. Right. You know, it might have been a different game, but alas, it wasn't. Um, and Summersworth again able to take advantage of a couple of those turnovers and turn them into into touchdowns in the second half. Right. Well, and and uh, you know Newport's lone touchdown. They they uh, got on the board first, but their touchdown came off of a fake punt by Summersworth that didn't. Uh, they weren't able to convert on. Um, you know, and that set up uh, the Tigers' only score, uh, which came in the first quarter. You know, gave them a seven nothing lead, and um, yeah. So, so Summersworth was you know had twenty one unanswered points in this one. Um, and yeah, like you said, the uh, in the second half they had a big fumble return, uh, set up a touchdown, and then the uh, the clincher was the pick six by Seth Worrell, uh, with with one twenty four left in the game. So I mean, some you know Newport was driving to tie the game late and uh and and whirl with uh you know just a momentum huge momentum swing and and game ceiling championship ceiling uh interception return yeah yeah and it seemed like the game kind of went that way right i mean you're right newport takes a seven nothing lead and it was a it was a um i think it was a fourth and goal play um kyle ashley hits uh, a run on an eight yard touchdown and then, like you said, right, or like we were saying, there were several times where Newport was able to get the ball down into pretty deep into Summersworth territory, but either turnovers or um, kind of a stout Summersworth defense ended up turning them away. So, you know, yeah, uh, you know, a, a, a close game in, in terms of the scoreboard, but maybe even closer when you consider some of those variables that went on in the game. Um, so sounded like a really good one out there in Laconia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and uh, like I said, the the third meeting in the championship game between these two teams in the last four seasons, Summersworth getting the two of them, uh, and then their their win in twenty twenty one makes it a three peat in Division Four. Um, you know, again, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. You know, nothing is official yet. There's been no, as far as I know, uh, you know, no confirmation on divisions and all that. But the rumor is is that both teams will be moving up to division three for next year. Uh, so, you know, we'll hopefully see some more battles between the Tigers and the Hilltoppers along with, you know, against some other schools that, that are, uh, you know, been traditional D three powers like Campbell and Monadnock and, and uh, interlakes Moultonboro. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I mean, it's, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, needs to be done at this point too. I mean, you look at this, and uh, in those four seasons, I mean, who who have, you know, these two teams lost to, right, other than each other? Right. You know, you have the Fall Mountains upset win over Newport in the semis uh, a couple of years ago, but they're they're up in D3 now as well. Yeah. Um, you know, other than that, they no one's come close to touching them in Division Four. So it's I think this is a this is a good move, you know, just to maybe create a little bit more competition in both divisions, you know, um, you know, what, what's the teams that are left in D four, I think will have, a, you know, uh, I don't think there's anybody that would be, you know, that dominant team. I, unless, you know, I, I could be wrong about that, but, but it doesn't look like it at least uh, at this point. Well, yeah. And I mean, cause you know, honestly, there's some really good young players on these two football teams too. Right. I, I saw that uh, coach Lambert shared, um, in, in one of the articles I read, it, I think it was Roger Brown's article on the Union Leader, that they had um, they had a spy, Carter Morgan, that was assigned to stop Kyle Ashley, who's one of the division's best offensive players. Um, and then Morgan got injured uh, early on in the game, and they had a, fra- a freshman go in and replace him as the, as the spy that was assigned to kind of help shut that player down and obviously ended up doing a pretty good job because right. again, Newport was able to move the ball, but they weren't able to, they weren't able to seal the deal. So to have a freshman step up as a, a linebacker, you know, kind of spy slash linebacker assigned to uh, a really good player, like, um, like Ashley, I mean that, that again, I think the, the, the story there is really just to say, Hey, you know, <laughs> these teams have some good young players that are coming right. through, up through the system. It's not like they're slated to drop off anytime soon either. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's just crazy that, um, you know, to, to look at that and, and have a player, uh, you know, such a, a young player come in 
and and make that kind of um, contribution in a championship game. You know, it's almost like you're you're so young at that point. Do you just even do not know any better? Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you you don't let it get to your head because you're just out there swinging away, not thinking much about right, it. You know? Right. Uh, so congrats to uh, to Summersworth on uh, on the the championship and and to Newport on also on a great season um, and and looking forward to seeing what uh, both those teams are able to do next year, uh, potentially in Division Three, which is uh, the 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 game that you got to on Saturday, right? The Division Three championship game uh, between Trinity and Campbell over at Sauhegan High School, a uh, another rematch of last year's D three championship game, and uh, a, you know. I think uh, you know there's been a stretch in D3 where these two teams I think have been in the one or both of them has been in the final like something like last, six of the last eight years or something like that in Division Three. Yeah. Uh, so what did uh, uh, what did you see? Of course, uh, of course, it would help if I had the score in front of me so I could tell you what it was. Uh, f- you know, Trinity gets a 42 to 12 win over Campbell, which you know you you were texting me updates during the game. I was seeing the score on on Twitter. You know, we talked last week that we thought this would be kind of a close game, like the six nothing win Campbell had in the regular season, and the the you know the close game in the championship game last year. But certainly not Trinity. Trinity came out ready to play. Uh they they really did, Joe. I was very very impressed with Trinity. You know, I I, I saw this game, this same game in the same venue, um, a year ago to date almost, right? I brought my two boys over there and watched the Trinity Campbell game. And it was, it was a close game, but it was very much, uh, I thought anyway, physically dominated by Campbell. Um, that, that game last year, oh, the Campbell won yeah. Yeah. 14 to 12. Yeah. You were there as well. Right. Yeah. And it was, um, even again, even though it was a close game, you know, Trinity kind of relied on big plays and Campbell was just able to convert, you know, third and shorts, fourth and shorts over and over again. Very different story this time, I thought. Um, I mean, and the tone was set right out of the gate. Um, Trinity won the toss, deferred, uh, and then quickly three and outed Campbell, held them to uh, five yards, um, you know, on their very first drive. Um, Kind of an exchange there on downs, but Trinity stopped Campbell again, fourth and one uh, at the Trinity 45, and then quickly turns right around and... You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about the um, the Pinkerton versus Brockton game and how they had hit Michaud on a couple of play action passes right down the seam in that first half. And Trinity basically ran that exact same play, but out of a different formation. And they hit Tebow uh, for 55 yards to to go up 14 nothing. And it was it was just kind of it was kind of all Trinity from there, defense and offense. Um you know, Hershberger, uh, I thought Scott Hershberger had a, a, a good game, but again, Trinity kind of just swarmed to him um, and did a really good job of taking him away. Um, the Gian Tomasio was really uh, the story of the game, though, I thought. I mean, he had, and I think I had texted this to you um, early in the third quarter. They no, I'm sorry, the second quarter, they kind of flipped out a little screen pass to him to the right, you know, like one of those like Edelman West Welker kind of wide receiver screens where it's like literally you just take two steps and you flip it out to him. Right. He caught the ball, kind of got swarmed too, right? Campbell played it pretty well. And he reversed complete field and came back to the <laughs> near sideline. Yeah. You know, so he probably ran forty five yards laterally. Uh, and then took it. I'm trying to think of how far it was. I think he went 82 or 83 yards wow. from there, Joe. He broke three tackles. Oh, uh, maybe, uh, eight, maybe 88 yards. I think I see in the the one story I've got open. Yeah, it, it, it was somewhere in the mid 80s, uh, yeah. and it was a third and 22 play, <laughs> right? So Trinity was really just trying to flip it out to to a dynamic player, maybe yeah. you know get some field position to punt, maybe. Um, and, and the next thing, you know, one of the most electric plays I've seen in years, he goes 82 yards, uh, on, again, on third and 22, and that was 21, nothing. Um, so it was, and that was, that was one of several plays that he had, right. It was pretty impressive. 
Oh, actually, I, I believe it or not, I actually just found a video of this play. Uh, that is insane. He was, he, you're right, He he's on one side of the field trapped. Not only does he reverse field, but he reverses field like eight yards deep in the backfield. Right. Yeah, he kind of had to belly back, which, you know, at the time, I was there with my oldest son, and we're looking at it, and I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, right? This is not a recipe for success. Um, I, mean, I mean, he's he is swarmed by Campbell players on the opposite side of the field. I'd say it like the his own 30. And then the last closest guy, I think, is at the 40, and he's gone. Like, like there's just nobody other than Trinity players going down the field with him. Yeah. That's, and, yeah, and that's the, insane. I think Pete was, you know, Trinity played, as I said, they played really well, obviously, right? They played right. really well in that first half, but they also somehow survived two shotgun snaps that went right past Jack's service, uh, deep in their own territory, right? One of them set up... Um, I believe set up Campbell's score. Um, you know, they, I think, I, I think Trinity was able to recover that snap, but it was deep in their own ter- territory. Then they ended up having to punt it away. Um, but it wasn't a very good punt, you know, so it set Campbell up on the Trinity 35 yard line. And the very next play, uh, they ran like a bootleg pass out to the right and Nick Hirschberger, um, you know, it was like a short pass, but Nick Hirschberger reeled it in maybe for what would have been like a five or six yard gain, but he turned it up field, turned on the jets and went 35 yards. Um, and at that point, momentum had seemed like it had swung back to Campbell because it was then 21, 12, two unanswered touchdowns by Campbell. But it, it, the momentum had not swung back. There was another big play by, Gian Tomasio and at the end of the second quarter with just under a minute left, um, he went 43 yards um, after, a, you know, a, a nice little pass in the flats from um, service. And that made it 28, 12 again with seconds left in the second quarter. And uh, again, there, there was, it was a quick answer to kind of stymie that momentum that seemed to be swinging back Campbell's way with some of the mistakes Trinity had made, but uh, it was, it was for not. And Campbell, I mean, uh, Trinity just sort of dominated the entire second half. Yeah. That's um that, that last touchdown there that you were just mentioning. I mean, that's the kind of play that like, I mean, that's demoralizing, you know, in a cha- especially in a championship game. I mean, you go in, you, you know, you score with enough time you figure your defense is going to be able to get you into halftime you know, without giving up another another score with that much time left. And then, you know, all of a sudden you you know, they're scoring and it's you're you're basically back in the hole you'd already you were already in, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, that's um yeah, that's that's a tough break for, for Campbell. But um yeah, great to see Trinity kind of respond like that and uh you because know, it wasn't you know, we, we talked about that last year. You know, last year in the championship game Campbell really punched him in the mouth in that ga- to, to open that game, and they didn't really know how to answer. And, and this year, they were the ones, you know, you know, starting out the game that way. And and when Campbell responded, they they were able to counter. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing too, Joe, that kind of impressed me about Trinity's approach was that you know they started the first half with, you know, kind of shotgun three wide receiver type stuff, and they were they were running the ball, you know, using kind of like jet sweeps and. Um, you know, like I said, some, some decent passes from service to his receivers, but they were turning them into big gains. Once they got the lead and, and had sort of set the tone for the game, they kind of, they kind of handed Campbell their own medicine a little bit. They got into the straight T, uh, you know, sort of like what you've seen Exeter run and, and things like that. And then it became the Paul Tebow show and they really just kind of ball control, clock control used Tebow and he was getting big chunks of yardage. Um, so very, you know, again, I thought that was a really interesting strategy, right? They kind of opened up the game, spread out, looking for big plays and things like that. And then as soon as they got the lead, they hunkered down, played physical football, ran it, um, and played great defense, right? Tebow was all over the field. The Gian Tomasio was all over the field. Um, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, uh, his first name, but Tatone, who's a defensive lineman, um, he was he had a couple of important sacks in the game. 
uh, at key times. So there were some there were some great defensive efforts by Trinity too. Overall, just a just a really interesting performance from them, dominating. Uh, Dom- Dominic, that's the Dominic Detone. Thank you. I was like, hey, wait a minute, I have the roster open right in front of me. How about I look for it? Yep. <laughs> I almost said Anthony, but I know that's that's the Giantomasio's name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know that's not it. <laughs> well, you know, we talked, uh, I think, a little bit last last week and obviously a year ago after this game about how, you know, don't be surprised, you know, to see these two teams here again because of the lack of, of seniors on those on both of those teams. And it's, it's, it's remarkable to look at this. I think Trinity, what did we say last week? They had three seniors a year ago. Yep. And this year, just looking at the roster real quick, it looks like they maybe have seven this year. Um, if I'm if I counting that right, yeah, five. Why can't I see this other part of the roster? Um, yeah, seven seniors. Um, lots of juniors, lots of sophomores. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is a team, and again, you know, like we were saying with division, you know, Summersworth and Newport. Nothing's official yet, but the rumor is Trinity's going to be moving up to Division Two next year. Right. Um, you know, well, so certainly, certainly they will have the experience to compete with, you know, some of those teams that that are in Division Two, some of the better programs uh, up there in Division Two. I would think so, and especially if you've got, I think, I think Anthony DeGiantamasio is only he's a, a sophomore. He's a sophomore, yeah. Um, yep. Um, Detone is only a sophomore, I think. Um, um, yes, also a sophomore. You know, they do lose key guys. Like you mentioned Tebow, you mentioned Service. They're both seniors. Yep. Um, you know, Devon Ellis uh, has been a big guy for them. He's also a senior. You know, so they do lose some key guys this year. Um, but, yeah, a lot of guys that contributed coming back. You know, and, yeah. And you look at Campbell. I don't think they're – you know, uh, obviously the Hirschbergers, I think, are, are they're both juniors. Yep. Um, again, not a lot of seniors on their roster, too. In fact, most of their roster, looking at this real quick, is freshmen. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know how many of them obviously play, but certainly, you know, a good sign for the future of the program when it looks like at least a third of your roster is made up of, uh, of first-year kids. Right. And you mentioned, you mentioned Devon Ellis. Campbell did do a good job of keeping him relatively quiet, but – um, you know, Trinity was using him as sort of a, a single wide receiver. Um, and, you know, Campbell just they were just bracketing him. Right. They had a guy rolled up in his face in man to man coverage, and then they were bringing a safety almost right over on top of him. Um, you know, so it struck me at watching it that their strategy was definitely to take Ellis out of the game plan and make Trinity beat him with other people. And, you know, they, they were able to respond to that as well, which I thought was was a good sign for them. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this game before we uh, we move on to Division Two? No, let's hit the D two stuff. All right. Well, uh, so again, because of uh, you know different numbers of teams in the playoffs and in the divisions and all that, uh, Division Two had their semifinals this past weekend. So uh, their championship game is coming up um, this coming Saturday, one o'clock kickoff at Stello Stadium in Nashua. Uh, it will be a matchup between Plymouth and Pelham, uh, the one and two seeds in the division. And uh, they both got there, I think, uh, certainly Plymouth, but but I would say even Pelham's game, um, a little bit more eye-opening uh, final score than, than we would have uh, maybe would have guessed going in. We certainly talked, um, you know, we talked about how Pelham and St. Thomas played that second week of the season when all those thunderstorms came through the state and games, a lot of games were postponed or moved, played later. Uh, Pelham's and St. Thomas, that was one of the few games that was called uh, before halftime with Pelham uh, ahead 14 to nothing. And, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting that not only did Pelham win this game 14 to nothing, it was 14 to nothing at halftime. Right. Uh, so uh, I, just a, a weird coincidence. This was also, uh, can, if you can believe this, the 40th win in a row uh, for Pelham. Um, just, uh, a, you know, I and, and going through, you know, some stuff with looking at the, the Sauhegan-Plymouth matchup last week, I was trying to find some things out. And, 
you know, 40 games is not that far off from, you know, the records that that Plymouth has had uh, back in the 2000s for consecutive wins. So they're getting up into, you know, state record uh, territory uh, not too far down the road. Yeah, which, uh, not to get uh, too far ahead of us, but sets up a very interesting storyline for what will roll out next week, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I would just, it, it was, uh, you know, ha- having talked to to a couple of, of Division Two coaches uh, going into this one, um, you know, this was maybe the thought was that St. Thomas was, their defense could hold Pelham in check. Uh, for for stretches of the game, maybe not the whole game, but stretches, but that the Saints were going to have a tough time uh, scoring against Pelham, and and clearly, you know they they did um, getting shut out in this one. Um, you know, uh, it looks like Pelham, which is used to making big plays all over the field on offense, their longest play of the day was only 18 yards. Um, you know, their their touchdown drives, I, I don't. Um, don't have the number right in front of me, but they were both like really short drives that were set up by, uh, I want to say either turnovers or special teams plays. Um, and then right before the half, uh, I believe St. Thomas had a chance to uh, get in the end zone on an interception return, but then uh, was stopped before the end zone. So to keep it a 14 nothing game. So certainly a, an interesting, more interesting uh, outcome than certainly a lot of Pelham's games this year, but um you know, maybe we would have thought going into it. Yeah, I mean, it, it it sounds like, you know, just kind of looking at what happened in this game, that the St. Thomas defense really had to had stepped up. Um, and that might have even shocked Pelham a little bit. Um, you know, you look at that game that you mentioned that they, that, by the way, both teams played earlier in the year. And, you know, we've talked about that game a little bit. We've kind of looked at it and said, well, yeah, you know, lowest total Pelham's been held to, but, you know, you have to take into account that the game was, like you said, right, stopped before halftime even. Um, but it sounded like the the St. Thomas defense really came in here with a great plan that, that frustrated Pelham. Um, you know, Pelham quarterback, um, you know, Nick Musi, you know, basically – had only thrown the ball 36 times all season. Uh, And he ended up throwing nine passes just in the first half of this one to try to loosen things up a little bit. Um, That's a, that's what a quarter of his passes and in. in, (laughs) in Yeah. Right. So, you know, I mean, and the good news is they're, you know, they're talented enough to, to go to that if they have to, but uh, you know, they, they, they struggled a little bit, right. Got down, uh, on their first drive all the way down to the three, but ended up turning it over on downs, you know, obviously opting to try to bang it in from there with behind that really good offensive line that they have. Um, but got all the way down to the three came away with no points. Um, so you can kind of, you can kind of tell that uh, it was that there was going to be that type of a game. Yeah, here. Oh, so I, I found, I found the number that I wanted here uh, that, that Pelham's touchdown drives. One was for was a four yard drive, obviously coming off a turnover. Yep. The other was a fifty three yard drive. Uh, so not you know, again the big plays weren't there. Or the long drives, you know, dominating time of possession, I don't think was there. Um, yeah. So certainly, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, maybe a bit of a wake up call too for Pelham. You know, certainly you don't you don't get many of those when you've won forty games in a row. Um, you know, but but you know, could be a good thing. Uh, certainly, well, certainly, you know, happy to be in the championship game, but could be a, a good thing to kind of get them refocused for a uh, a team that I don't I don't think they've played in four or five years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, actually, I uh, yeah, I think yeah. What I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? Sorry, no, I was gonna say I I you know it's a, it's a matchup between these two teams that I find interesting, but um, I, I don't know when the last time was they played. I don't remember. I don't remember it in recent history. That's for sure. You know, it, it well, uh, you had the two years there that Pelham was down in division three in, in 2020 and 2021. Right. Yeah. Uh, I want to say 
the playoffs in 2019, uh, I think, oh, I didn't, uh, I think that, that um, Plymouth actually came down to Pelham and, and upset them in the first round of the playoffs that year. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and then Plymouth ended up getting to the championship game, and that was the year that they uh, lost to Hollis Brookline in the final. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right now th- that you mentioned yeah, that. I think that was the last time. Of course, it's going to now take me. For- I thought I had it right in front of me, and now it's going to take me uh, forever to find it. <laughs> yeah. Usually, usually the way that works, right? Right. But you made a good point, too, Joe, and that is, you know, hey, does a does a game like this kind of, you know, wake up or, or even sort of just um, repurpose a little bit, right? Have a, have a renewed sense of purpose for Pelham. You know, uh, uh, Coach Tom Bain kind of sounded like Bill Belichick a little bit with one of the news outlets saying we didn't throw the ball well, we didn't run the ball well, we didn't do a lot of things well, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and hey, you know, that's the kind of standard that they hold themselves to. Right. Um, but, you know, the other the other interesting element was you had uh, hurling with a 46 yard touchdown run that was brought back um, in the in the first half with uh, a block in the back penalty um, that obviously would have been, a, you know, would have been a, a, given them a little bit more of a, a cushion, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, definitely, uh, an eyebrow raiser. And I know St. Thomas, probably not the outcome that they wanted or, or were hoping for, or certainly were preparing for, but if you're St. Thomas, you've got to, you've got to feel kind of good about that. Right. I mean, here's a team that's won 40 straight games, uh, and is, I would think the favorite to win one more next weekend. Uh, and you played darn good football against them. Right. All right. I found it. Uh, yep, 2019 opening round of the Division Two playoffs, so the quarterfinals. Uh, six-seeded Pelham came down to number three. Excuse me, six-seeded Plymouth comes down to number three Pelham and beats them 14-12 to 12, mm. uh, on a late – or no, excuse me, Pelham had a late uh, chance to score and, uh, and was unable to. Uh, they scored a touchdown and then didn't get the two-point conversion to tie it late in the game. Yeah. So yeah, that's so it's been uh what is that four, five years, five seasons since they played each other? Yeah. So that'll be an interesting one. Well, I guess we've been we've been mentioning now, so I guess we should uh tell every tell everyone how uh, how did Plymouth get there? How did Plymouth get to the championship game? Uh you know, I I saw <laughs> I saw a little back and little back and forth on Twitter uh because someone said that um you know, Plymouth's 21-20 win over Sauhegan was an upset. And someone replied and said, no, it wasn't. Plymouth was the two seed. Sauhegan was the three. And I'm like, well, Sauhegan also beat them by, like, 43 points in the regular season. Right. So I think that qualifies as an upset. Um, you know, in, in a game that, you know, obviously I've been, been doing the season with Sauhegan, so I've seen all of their games this year. And, you know, when we got to halftime, I really, it really felt to me a lot like their game against Timberlane early this year. They started out hot, got an early lead, uh, had a chance for more, but just couldn't capitalize. And, you know, you started to see it more from Plymouth in the first half, where in that Timberlane game, it took them until the second half to really, you know, get their run game going and kind of dominate time of possession. Plymouth did it almost from the start. Um, just, you know, held on to the ball. And then in the second half, they figured out ways to, to, to slow Sauhegan down, you know, and, and, you know, keep them from getting their offense, you know, in, in check or get, or excuse me, uh, in gear. Um, I had Plymouth with 33 minutes, 32 seconds of time of possession, uh, 62 total plays run 31 in each half. And then they were seven of 10 on third downs. Uh, wow yeah yeah i mean it's just plymouth doing plymouth thing exactly you know um chris sanborn their coach said that that when they came down to sauhegan they did none of the things that they wanted to do yeah so they focused on trying to do those things this time around which you know was ball control offense and try to you know try to play bend but don't break defense 
and they were able to this time around. Um, you know, they were able to this time around, but even still, you know, Sauhegan, you know, turned the ball over twice inside the red zone. They had a turnover on downs, um, you know, deep in Plymouth's end to end the first half. You know, they score on one of those, it's 21-7 at halftime. They score on two of them, it's 28-7. You know, so, and, and at that point, we're probably not having this conversation like this. Right. You know, so so a real big swing that second quarter, late second quarter was when, when Plymouth was able to come up with those plays on defense. Yeah, yeah, and... and... You know, Joe, I do I do think to the way that you kind of opened the discussion, I do think that this qualifies as an upset. Um, you know, I know that Sauhegan was the three seed, but honestly, you know, looking closely and, and you know Sauhegan better than anybody else, maybe in the state, at least as far as media folks go, because of the time that you've spent with them and so forth. I, I mean, that's an extraordinarily talented team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on both sides of the ball, but... Um, you know, to be able to kind of keep that offense in check and to be able to go in and execute that ball control game plan that they were not able to do in the first game. They were able to shut J.J. Bright down, who's, you know, obviously the top back in the division, probably. Um, although, again, there's a, there's always those arguments, right? But <laughs> from what I've seen, um, you know, and 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 I I just think I think it's a pretty eye-opening performance by Plymouth, despite what we talked about last week, which is the last time Plymouth may have lost a playoff game at home could go all the way back to 1982. Uh, yeah, I did actually get an answer on that. Um, give me a second to to try to find it. Yeah, I think it was like it was either 97 or 82, oh, depending on God. whether the 97 or 96 game was home no, or away. It was a di- it was it was it actually ended up being a different game. Uh, oh, was it? Yes. Um, 1999, uh, Plymouth lost in the semis to Laconia. And then oh. Laco- Laconia actually went on to beat Sauhegan uh, in the championship game. At uh, Sauhegan. At which Sauhegan. Was, a, was that, by the way? Which, which <laughs> I was, was at that game. You were at that game? I was. I you, watched you, it. You know that. who else was at that game and was the quarterback for Sauhegan that year? Coach Bacat? He was. Was he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do remember that game. Uh, But, yeah, that was the last time that Plymouth lost a home playoff game was 1999. Yeah, so, I mean, and there's always been something about that Sauhegan-Plymouth rivalry, especially when the game takes place up in Plymouth. Um, There's there's always a little bit of that Bobcat magic, whatever it is, right? Weird weird things happen up there to Sauhegan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just look look at a year ago. You know they they did beat them up there uh, handedly, yes, in the regular season. But their bus broke down on the way to the game, right? And they, you know they're on the side of ninety three, waiting for a new bus to come pick them up. Well, maybe they've you know? got to sabotage their bus a little bit more. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was you know it, it was a it, it was a great football high school football game though. You know, both teams. Um, you know, I you know despite you know some of the the maybe. Like I said, the turnover both both teams had turnovers. Um, Plymouth had a couple as well. Um, you know, there were there were a good amount of penalties too. I don't have remember the number off the top of my head, but it was you know it was kind of sloppy in that regard. If you you know if you can you want to look at it like that, um, but it was a well played game for the most part, uh, and, and just a really great day of high school football. Yeah, I you know the weather was great that day. You were you were up north. I was kind of. Well, it, down could, it, could have been a, it could have been a little warmer, but yeah. It, yes. Well, yeah, the breeze was a little chilly, no doubt. I I, uh, I wish I had worn a little bit of a heavier coat or a hat. But uh, but again, it was football weather. And uh, yeah, it sets up a really, really fascinating uh, story for the D2 championship this coming weekend. You know, two teams that are very similar in terms of the way that they get their business done on offense and defense. Um, you know, again, both teams kind of run the ball, ball control, uh, rely on really good offensive lines. Um, but also two teams that kind of own the New Hampshire streaks in terms of wins, right? Plymouth being, uh, you know, kind of the, the one, the, the, the past era. Um, and then Pelham is, is the, the current, you know, sort of champion in that area, right? With, with their 40th consecutive win they've just got. 
So two extremely consistent programs um, about to go head to head. And, and um, I, I just think I think that makes a really interesting story. Yeah, um, it's it's a. Uh... The question, I guess, Plymouth has to ask. I mean, can they do it again? Can they can they do right. the same thing to Pelham that they just did to Sauhegan? I and I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know that answer. Yeah. Um, you know, Pelham is certainly um, a little bit bigger up front, I think, than Sauhegan is. But you know, Plymouth has got some big dudes up front. Yeah. Um, yeah. And think, is there a is there a blueprint, Joe? Uh, defensively in terms of what St. Thomas was able sure, to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, a, that's a good question. Right. Cause St. Thomas, I, I haven't seen much of, I've seen little snippets of them back and forth, but I wouldn't have considered them kind of a defensive juggernaut. Um, you know, I think they play obviously good defense, but you know, was there something that they did there that, that, uh, you know, that, that Plymouth will be able to take advantage of a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I I want to I want to backtrack on some one thing too because we were we did we were talking about this that, you know kind of talking about that Plymouth you know was able to contain JJ Bright a little bit there but really they contained him you know to a certain degree most more so in the second half when they knew you know when he touched the ball pretty much what he was going to be doing um, he still finished with 140 yards on 14 carries right uh, you know 124 of those though came in the first half. Um, you know, so they did do a good, a better job in the second half of, of keeping him in check. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the most part, Sauhegan's offense, there was one, you know, the one touchdown, uh, play from Romy Jane to, to chase knuckles, um, that gave Sauhegan a lead. That was probably the one, uh, really big play that the Sabres were able to get in that second half. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so that's your, that's your D2, uh, recap and your final on Saturday, uh, number two, Plymouth. Number one, Pelham, um, playing at one o'clock at Stello Stadium in Nashua. And then we had uh, we had what D one quarterfinals this past weekend. Um, and you know, unlike last year, where you had you know two of the three teams that had the first round by getting uh, upset, you know, coming out into these games. Um, you know, it, it was uh, not only was it chalk all the way through, uh, it was pretty convincing. Uh, yes, for the top was. four seeds, um, you know your closest game of the the weekend is is Portsmouth's uh, twenty to nothing win over North. And that was a seven nothing game at halftime. Um, you know, and Portsmouth pulls away in the in the second half. Uh, Bedford came out and just stomped all over Salem early in that game yesterday, or uh, excuse me, on Saturday. Um, you know, I I got to see that for my first time seeing Bedford um, in person since the Jamboree. And um, just they look like a well-oiled machine. Um, you know, it was twenty-one nothing eight minutes into the not even eight minutes into the game. Um, they win forty-nine to six over Salem, and then uh, you know Pinkerton, same kind of thing against BG. They just I had Pinkerton. They had nine possessions if you include kickoff returns, and they scored eight touchdowns. The only one that they didn't score on was the last drive of the game where they took a knee to end it. Right. Wow. <laughs> just, yeah, just a remarkable performance. You know, again, another talk about well-oiled machines. Pinkerton looks like that as well. Uh, yeah. Matt Morrison with a huge game in that one, too. Three touchdowns, had the two kickoff returns for touchdowns, too, both of which were just backbreakers uh, for Bishop Girton. And yeah, then, I, I saw that he, he uh, it kind of exploded in that first yeah. half and yeah. just, you know, had – a ton of yardage between the returns and and some uh, some really good plays on offense as well. Right, uh, and then your 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 other quarterfinal, you had Londonderry getting a twenty seven to six win over Exeter. Um, yeah, a little bit closer than their regular season game that Londonderry won thirty five nothing, but still, you know, I, I think Exeter got its touchdown late. Um, you know, and and Londonderry seemed to be in control of that one the whole way through. So sets up uh you know the top four seeds playing in the semifinals you got number four londonderry number at number one pinkerton and number three bedford at at number two uh portsmouth oyster river yeah some really interesting matchups there you know i I got to see um again due to you know the the great work from our friends over at uh friday night lights new hampshire i got to see the stream of the uh of the uh, Portsmouth Oyster River Nashua North game. 
Yeah. Um, same. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, my impressions from that was, um, you know, Portsmouth is still who they are, right? They played really, really good physical defense, especially with those two inside linebackers that they have, um, you know, really made life difficult for the Nashua rushing attack for most of the night. Um, but the, the, the tough part about that is, is, um, is Aiden Thomas. Is that his, is that his last name? Yes. Aiden had... Thomas. Uh, yeah. Thank uh, you. I was going to say, I had, I had my note right <laughs> here and I was like, Oh my God, I said it before I looked at my note. <laughs> I hope I didn't miss name. Um, left in the first half with what looked like an upper body, you know, maybe a collarbone injury. Yeah, I hate to speculate I, I, on I, the young man's. I heard that maybe it was a broken collarbone, but not any confirmation, but either way it didn't, you know, he was, he walked off, with his throwing arm in a sling, uh, yeah, and that's that's never a good sign. And um, you know, it, it it might be might be a case where he's not available for them, unfortunately, this weekend. Right, um, and and obviously they played well enough, uh, you know, after his departure to to beat a very good Nashua North team, but um, but uh, but yeah, that 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 throws a little bit of a of a curveball at you know, what I think Portsmouth Oyster River had been building up to, which was kind of featuring him uh, a little bit more as a runner and a ball carrier, not just as a guy handing the ball off and, and slinging it around. Right. But also adding a, that other dimension of the run game there with him. Um, you know, they'll have to kind of regroup on that a little bit if he's not available. Yeah. Everybody's uh, everybody got to know uh, the name Colby Gedney <laughs> after, uh, after that switch as he came in and was, uh, you know, uh, filled in for Thomas and, and like you said, was able to still get them to a win. Um, you know, it certainly helps having a couple of guys, you know, like uh, like Angus Moss and Brooks Connors and uh, Emmanuel Poe, who, uh, you know, who are, are, are big time playmakers and, and able to, you know, do some great things for, for Portsmouth. So, I mean, certainly it's not, you know, uh, not the end of the world. Uh, no. But certainly... A, a tough spot to be in, you know, losing your quarterback going into playing a team that, uh, you know, just absolutely dominated the, uh, you know, the sixth seed uh, in the playoffs in, in Bedford. Yeah. And I thought Gedney played well, quite honestly, when he came in. Um, but again, it, it's like you said, he that's that's not the situation where he's been getting all the reps and all the sort of game plan attention and all those types of things. So it'll be it'll be uh, it'll be a quick coming up to speed for the Portsmouth offense to kind of build a little bit around what his skill sets are going into that game against, you know, again, what we've both uh, admitted many times is uh, a firing all on all cylinders Bulldogs team. Right. You know, I, I want I do want to mention real quick too, that, you know, the, the team that they beat there uh, North, um, you know, I think we kind of talked about that last week about what to expect from that game that, you know, North would, would play good defense against them but just might struggle to move the ball at times. But from what I saw, especially in that first half, North moved the ball. Um, you know, they just, when they needed to make the play, they it just, they you know, sometimes shot themselves in the foot with turnovers or, or just penalties. Penalties, right. They got deep into Portsmouth territory at times and then, and then just came away with nothing, um, which is just, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's been the story for them a lot this year. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe that's a byproduct of, of losing so many guys from a year ago and having guys that are trying to step in this year. And it just the, you know, it, we're through a whole season here, but maybe it's just, you know, the, the experience wasn't quite enough. You know, you look over their roster and, and, and they lose some of the guys that, um, you know, were key for them this year, but they got a lot coming back. Um, there's a lot of juniors, a lot of sophomores on this roster. Yeah, North North definitely had a good season, and they they felt like they were, um, you know, like like you said, sort of a younger team that that had to recover from losing a lot of key talent. But you're right. I mean, they they actually did move the ball relatively well against against Portsmouth at times, and that's a Portsmouth front that I've been talking up, you know, really probably for the last two thirds of the season. I was very impressed with what they did uh, against Exeter. Um, so certainly not a defense to to sort of roll your eyes at in terms of uh, what they bring to the table, but um, but yeah, I, I I do think that it wasn't an easy uh, time for that 
that Portsmouth Oyster River defense. Um, but they're going to have their work cut out for them next week for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I uh, I was trying to get down from from Plymouth to Bedford in time. I did make it before. I I got there about six minutes before kickoff. Uh, but you know, by the time I parked and 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 got out of the car and all that. And uh, again, you know, you mentioned the Friday Night Lights guys being at Portsmouth, though they were also at Bedford yesterday. So I was able to, I you know, I took my time. No one I could go back and watch their uh, their replay of the of the game on YouTube and and fill in the the parts I missed. Um, yeah. But I feel like you know I got there, I grabbed something to eat, I strolled over to the top of the the railing to watch the field from or watch the game from up top for a little bit. I feel like by the time I got there, it was already fourteen to nothing. Uh, Bedford, um, Brody Helton, just, uh, you know, first time I, I think I've really seen him play. I mean, and he is, he's a, a dynamic player, man. He has the speed, he's got the moves and he's got size and just a sophomore too. Um, you know, so just looking at is that. He the, is he the running back? Joe? The running back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I saw him play earlier this season and I thought he was pretty good. But it sounds like he's really kind of come into his own these last couple of weeks, particularly this past week. Um, he just was was so hard. It looked like for for Salem to try to bring him down. You know, yeah. it was taking multiple guys to to tackle him if they were bringing him down. He had uh, four touchdowns. Uh, Bedford's actually first four touchdowns. Uh, two wow. reception, two uh, receiving touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Um, yeah, just uh, and and both of them, you know, the first two touchdowns, both from forty nine yards, one a run, one a reception. Um, you know, they they would be a good team uh, without him, but he makes them just so much more dynamic on offense. It feels like. Yeah, and you're talking too about a Salem defense that it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they never really gave up more than twenty eight points this season. Uh, and two of those, th- they, two of those three times were the last two weeks to Pinkerton and Londonderry. Right, right, right. I mean, other than that, it's you know kind of around the the seven to fourteen point range for Salem, um, and and boy, they 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 really got um, an eye opener with a, a, what is obviously a very very strong Bedford offense this week. Yeah, um, you know, and then I, you know, it was similar a similar story at Pinkerton on Friday night too. Um, you know, it, it, Pinkerton took the ball, went right down the field. Uh, actually, they it looked like they'd scored on the very first play. Uh, Morrison went seventy five yards for what looked like a touchdown on the first play of the game, but it get got called back on a uh, I don't remember if it was a hold or a block in the back or something. Um, and it was almost like you know they said, okay, you know what, we'll just we'll just do this the old fashioned way. And then they went on a long drive, uh, and scored, um, instead, um, you know, in just the start of, uh, again, another one that was, you know, 21, nothing. It felt like before you blinked. Right. Um, you know, and yeah. then every time BG looked like it was going to get some momentum, you know, something happened. They lost a fumble. They had a big penalty, you know, their first, their two touchdowns in the first half, both get answered by Morrison, uh, who has kickoff returns. So it was, yeah, it was a, a tough break. Um, you know, the second the second of one of them was was probably, you know, the the tougher to take because BG, had, you know, I would say they they had a long way to go, but they scored with 24 seconds left in the half, made it 42 to 13. They're getting the ball to start the second half. That you know, you think, oh, if we can go down and score. Maybe get the two-point conversion. It's 42-21. Who knows? Right. And instead, they kick off and Morrison returns it for another touchdown with five seconds or ten seconds left. And now <laughs> now we're into running time in the second half. Right. Totally changes any any hope for a momentum shift that you might have had. Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, so that was... Uh, that was an interesting one to watch. You know, BG was able to, you know, to move the ball through the air a little bit against um, against Pinkerton's defense, but just not consistently enough. Um, you know, they were unfortunately shorthanded, um, you know, down uh, at least one receiver. I saw, you know, Connor Lennon, their, you know, their big senior receiver wasn't out there. Uh, he's also their kicker, too, which which hurt them in the kicking game. 
you know, their first two punts, I think, averaged eight yards. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a, you know, you lose the field position battle there. Um, you know, and, and he, I, don't, I don't remember Connor getting hurt against Dover. He, he, makes... got, he got banged up late in the game, like, got, you know, tangled up with a, a corner on, on a, a pass and, yeah. uh, and hobbled off. But he came back and, and played and kicked an extra point after that. Mm. Um, so it looked like he was okay, but he was not dressed on Friday. Yeah, maybe he re-aggravated yeah. something during the week. Uh, and then, uh, and then our, our, you know, the fourth game that that Londonderry Exeter game, like we said, a rematch from from the regular season, but kind of, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but at this point, it feels like a oh, ho hum. Londonderry's in the semifinals again, uh, kind of, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of, uh, sorry, sorry, Coach Lozon, but kind of what we expected, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, oh, sorry, oh, go yeah, ahead, go. no, go ahead. Uh, I, I didn't want to get too far out ahead if you were going to talk about uh, that game, but it, 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 you know, as much as, as Londonderry kind of being there again, like you said, is kind of like, Hey, that was, that was, that was expected, right? We know that's a really good football team. It's an extraordinarily well coached football team, but I, I can't help thinking about just how really good, uh, this Bedford and Pinkerton teams must be. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to... I, I mean, yeah, with the results that we saw this week against, you know, saw BG last week, seen BG a couple times this season. I know BG is a pretty good football team. They especially can move the ball well. Um, you know, so, so to see that result and then, you know, the the same thing kind of goes for the, the Bedford-Salem matchup, right? I mean, Salem had a really good, almost comeback season this year um and to just be kind of kind of flicked aside by bedford um you know again i just i i i really can't help but think just how good these two teams must be right now right i yeah you're right it is to say that that you know those are two pretty good football teams and bedford and pinkerton made them both look like not very good football teams right um yeah yeah that's a that's a fair point and it's yeah it, it kind of i obviously we still have games to go this weekend and, and as we saw last weekend anything can happen yeah um but you know it kind of kind of looks like those are the two favorites certainly going into both of those games yeah i mean i think if anything londonary and portsmouth both have excellent defensive fronts um and so that could play a, a factor into those games um i've been just super impressed with what i've seen out of their defenses this year and obviously they have good offenses as well right but you know the key will be can you can anybody slow down bedford and pinkerton and i i uh i do think that if there's a defense matchup that could do it you know certainly that londonderry front and that portsmouth front might be able to do something about that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not writing either of those teams off, but I think if they if they're going to be in those games, it's going to be on the strength of their defensive fronts, in particular. Um, you know, can they play that same physical, fast football that they've been doing and force those really high-powered Bedford and and um, Pinkerton offenses to become one-dimensional? That would be the key, I would think. Right. Well. Uh, we don't know yet, um, as of the, the time we're recording this, we don't know when those games are going to be played exactly. Uh, there was talk of maybe both of them getting moved to Friday, uh, but that's not been confirmed yet. So certainly, uh, keep an eye out on your, on, on nh-highschoolsports.com for updates on when those games, uh, the D1 games will be played or, or, you know, check in with your schools your athletic department. Um, but uh, I, my hope is we get one Friday, one Saturday, but that's, that's just me. Yeah. I would like <laughs> to see that too, but uh, even better if it's one of our pay grade, it's if it's one Friday night, then you have the D two final Saturday afternoon and then the other D one semi Saturday night. Yeah. Can we get, can, can we be that lucky? Well, Bedford just hosted at five this past oh, week. I know, I know, so. I know, but we're, we're I'm not going to count on that two weeks. Nope. <laughs> and here after I just said how tired I was from the week. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, 
I think, uh, I don't know, unless you have any final thoughts, I think that'll uh, wrap us up for uh, for this week. No, I think we call it a wrap, Joe. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Mike, thanks again for joining me to do this and, and uh, already looking forward to what we're going to have to talk about after this com- you know, this next weekend. Yeah, same here, definitely. Yeah. Well, he is Mike Lockman. I am Joe Marcellina. Thanks again for listening to us, and uh, have a great time at the games this weekend. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next week.